everyone, welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which looks at the four food moments from our favourite A-lister food writers. I'm Julie Smith and I'm linking the thinking about what we eat and who we are to create a deeper connection with food. This week I'm with Anna Jones, vegetarian queen of simple, creative, delicious sustainability in the kitchen, on her four food moments from her latest book, One Pot Pan Planet. So yeah, I think these flexible recipes really, to me, are kind of, you know, the future of cooking because it's great to follow a recipe, but really, you know, my hopes are that they're arming people with the tools to be able to be adaptable, be creative with what they have. She tells me about her long tenure with Jamie Oliver, who helped to light her fire, cooking for the Obamas, and how a simple life really is the way to save the planet. I asked her if lockdown looked a bit like the picture she painted in her book. Like everyone, I think I enjoyed the sort of simplicity of um, of just the shift in sort of pace of our lives. Um, I found it quite difficult. Me and my husband both work at home and, you know, but both run our own businesses. So, um, you know, it's it, uh, we found it quite tricky to always make time every evening to, like, sit around the table as a family because we're always just juggling, um, as most people are, and definitely people with young children. Um, so, you know, that's something that we really started doing in lockdown. We made sure we sit down, sat down, you know, at 5 o'clock or 5.30 every day and had... Um, a lovely sort of meal together and that's been so nice um I think in terms of cooking as well there's been a big shift I've noticed that you know people who cook my recipes have just become a bit more confident I think you know in swapping out ingredients in kind of just you know that confidence and creativity in the kitchen which I think some people used to be a bit scared of you know swapping an ingredient and recipe or or changing everything anything um you know I think that's really shifted and I think that's brilliant and it is the answer isn't it i mean simplicity being a little bit more creative thinking a little bit more laterally about what to do with leftovers putting it all in a pot and actually having some kind of understanding about what you're doing that's the answer isn't it to eating to save the planet (laughs) I think it is the answer. I think it is the answer. And I think it's these weeknight meals, the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Monday night meals that, that we really need to, that, that need to shift, that need to change. I think people are always going to treat themselves at the weekend, um, maybe cook more complicated things. But if we can get these kind of weekday meals and at the moment, weekday lunches and things, um, right in terms of, you know, them being really delicious, really joyful, but quick and easy and, you know, sustainable, then I think, I think that is, is where the change will happen. It's a, it's a long introduction, a, a real manifesto about how to eat to save the planet, which I am so interested in because it's so simple. You have lots and lots of lots of recipes. I've never seen a cookbook with so many <laughs> recipes, largely because you have massive sections on what to do with broccoli, what to do with, you know, kale, what to do with sweet potato, lots and lots of different variations on a thing, which is so, so useful. But it's also the bigger, the more macro level of connection, kindness, eating together, mm. those things that really make people rethink everything and is that really a a reflection of what happened to you in lockdown I think I think it is I think you know especially at the beginning of lockdown where we found ourselves in a situation where we couldn't get bags of flour or you know 
or eggs. And, and I never thought in my lifetime I would be saying that I couldn't get my hands on flour. And I think, you know, that just um, emphasised for me the kind of delicacy of our of our food system here in the UK and, and worldwide. And also, you know, it really just, I think, sort of pulled focus for me on the people that are involved in bringing our food to us, whether that's the farmers, whether that's the lorry drivers, whether that's the supermarket workers or, you know, the people who tend the stores at the farmers markets, wherever you buy your food. And I think that's something that we have, you know, over the last, you know, couple of decades really lost a connection with I think and I think I I really hope that you know that period of time where where some of those basics were taken away from us has actually encouraged people to question you know that food chain and and think a bit more about where it comes from and and really think about the humans um that 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 are part of that because I think when we humanize food um you know I think we have a lot more respect for it. You know, if we think about the farmer, if we think about, you know, the picker, if we think about, you know, the resources that, that are put into our food, I, I, I think we value it more and we're less likely, you know, to waste it. We're, we're more likely to make sure we just buy enough and we support the people who are who are doing, you know, doing the things that are the practices we want to see in the world. Absolutely. It's the hidden costs of food that you bring out and you make us think about those things. And it's a really wonderful reminder of how wonderful food is. What a an extraordinary basic, but an extraordinary resource that we have and very often and too often and we, we trash. Um, I love the fact that you bring out the much quoted uh, global, if global waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world after the US and China. It's something that I often quote in, in cooking the books and people always comment on it. It is extraordinary. You give lots and lots of tips of how, what to do with leftovers. Is that something that you've come to fairly recently or is it something that you really feel is it is is one of the most important things to communicate to your readers um I think it's something that has always been part of how I cook um when I you know trained as a chef in in kitchens you know you you couldn't throw anything away I I had you know head chefs who you know if you threw a couple of herb stalks away they'd be pulling them out of the bin and saying well this can be a bouquet garni you can you know make a stock with this so it's definitely and 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 my parents never threw anything away either so you know it's definitely part of me and part of how I cook um but I think definitely you know as in the last few years the kind of um you know focus on what the situation you know we're in in terms of the climate emergency I think it's become more and more important to me to emphasize this with people because really it's a pretty easy win it's after eating eating mostly vegetables not wasting your food as you know you well know and I'm sure lots of your listeners know is the second most impactful thing you can do and actually you know it's not going to cost you any more money. I'm not asking you to go out and buy an electric car or, you know, any fancy far-fangled ingredients. It's it's just making the most of what we got and actually saving ourselves money. So I think it's a sort of win for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, last night I did your fantastic um, butter beans, um, which is simply frying off butter beans so they come beautifully crispy i love butter beans anyway but you know crisping them up is really gorgeous chucking a bit of you know tomatoes on the vine with some leftover kale um and 
putting some garlic and lemon and parmesan over it. It took me five minutes. It looked beautiful. It tasted amazing. And well, I don't know what it would have cost, you know, a tin of beans. And I mean, the kale was leftovers anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, really almost nothing. Um, and it was a real celebration of what I've got in my cupboard, but also, you know, seasonal vegetables. It is that easy, isn't it? I think it is. And I think often the sort of whole, you know, eating sustainably or even eating vegetarian food is often kind of, you know, shrouded in this sort of mystery that, it, you know, that it, it, it's something complicated or, you know, that you need to, you know, be only shopping at farmers markets or whatever but it's it's very accessible I feel like you know actually for me those are the dishes I want to cook on a weeknight I want a a small list of ingredients I want not too much washing up because I think that's one thing we don't think about you know in terms of energy you know the more appliances we turn on the more energy we're using the more pans we've got the more water we're using for washing up so it's this whole um you know it's this whole 360 picture of 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 you know where the food comes from but also you know how it moves through our kitchen that is a hugely important point isn't it you know you start thinking one pot and then i've got hundreds of books on my shelf of you know one pot this and one pot that but actually when you're thinking about one pot you're thinking simple you're thinking often leftovers and you're thinking you're not you're not necessarily thinking low energy but that is the byproduct mm, of mm, it. Absolutely. You know, I loved your um, episode with Ollie Hunter recently, where he reframed kind of waste as, as being called byproducts. And I think that's actually a really useful thing to do, you know, in our heads to think of waste as actually, or, you know, or leftovers as this very valuable commodity, really. And, and you know, I love cooking with leftovers, you know, probably more than I love cooking with raw ingredients because it feels more interesting and creative. Well, it does. And there's a value in waste. Mm, mm. Um, You know, it seems a a bit of a sort of a um, a contradiction in terms. But I think the more we value waste, the more we understand the whole food system. I love what you do. Um, Let's go into some of your food moments. Um, Your wild garlic soda bread. Now, this takes you back to Jamie Oliver days. Tell us about your time with Jamie and, and whether or not he taught you to think in a campaigning way. Well, I think Jamie was a, a huge, you know, I'm his biggest fan and I, he was a huge influence on me. I worked for him, you know, I, I trained in his kitchens and then I worked for him kind of helping him develop recipes and and do that side of his business for quite a few years um and I definitely think that that massively rubbed off on me I think you know the way he uses food as a kind of vehicle for change I have always found very inspiring and was lucky enough to be part of some of those crazy camp you know the school dinners campaigns and 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 lots of those things but yeah wild garlic I remember really I'm discovering when I was working as a chef um in in 15 in his kitchens um and I remember being like feeling slightly cheated I was like why is no one told me about this before you know it's this amazing free natural carpet of deliciousness um and we pick it i pick it with my son every year now um but we used to make a wild garlic um soda bread and um a a brilliant chef called steve pooley i think it was actually his recipe and we ended up making it you know working for jamie was kind of he was i guess he's like sort of 
he was like a rock star of the kitchen at that stage. And so we, we cooked for lots of high profile people. But one of the dinners I did was for the G20 at Downing Street, which was wild. So we had, you know, the Obamas there, you know, all the world leaders. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> and we made this beautiful wild garlic soda bread to go with the starter. And, and the, the, the staff in Downing Street were very particular. I mean, everything had to happen like clockwork at the exact agreed second and I remember you know that that the service was starting and I couldn't see Steve and Jamie were sort of heading up the kitchen I couldn't see them anywhere so I sort of had to start cracking on with <laughs> they showed up pretty soon after but I have to say I was like oh well no pressure I'll just um, <laughs> um oh, wow but yeah it was I, I love wild garlic and and yeah that's sort of very happy association with my time with my time with Jamie and with the wonderful people who work with him yeah and did you feel that I mean the work that he was doing with school dinners and 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 you know he's he is a natural campaigner he has it absolutely in his soul and he is absolutely genuine isn't he did it rub off on you I know lots of people have got their campaigning vision from Jamie did it rub off what in in the daily work that you were doing I think it definitely did um rub off on me I think I've maybe always sort of slightly had that gene I did a lot of work around kind of you know in my economics degree I did a lot of work around developing countries and 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 ways to kind of look at aid um so I think it's always been something that I had an interest in but definitely Jamie brought it out of me and he showed me the connection between food and you know society and you know you know really the bottom line that if as a society we're not feeding you know our children you know on on a basic level well like how can we call ourselves a civilized society really and I think you know that the, the 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 kind of breadth of and generosity with which he talks um, about food and you know his his incredible work ethic I think definitely definitely rubbed off on me for sure and you know I, I went all over the world with him we did some some shows in California in in um, West Virginia where we were sort of you know trying to work on the American food system which I have to say was much more difficult <laughs> than the British food system because of the lobbies and you know all the paperwork there um, but yeah I, I definitely feel like um you know his insistence and his passion have um have have you know lit a fire lit a fire in my belly for sure yeah i'm a big fan big fan tell us about you and your welshness um <laughs> your welsh cakes is your second food moment and it comes from a family recipe um whereabouts in wales did your dad come from well my dad is um he he actually grew up in birmingham but um the there's a big family with a very strong Welsh connection um, from Mountain Ash in the in the Rhonda Valley, um, and so my dad has got twelve. Well, he's one of twelve, so there were eleven brothers and sisters. They all lived in, you know, a pretty modest um, two bedroom terrace house. So it was absolute madness, um, and that's kind of how I grew up. I grew up with just this, you know, sort of frenetic, passionate, vibrant, um, you know, family. Um, which was just 
really a fantastic blessing. You know, there was always singing, there was always music, there was always jokes and winding people up. Um, and yeah, Welsh cakes was one of the things that my aunties used to make and my, my nan, I think, before, before them made. Um, and they'd always sort of bring them, bring them around if they came to our house or if we went over, we'd eat them. And so there's a recipe in the book which is slightly adapted. It's kind of using, using their original recipe but making it savoury with cheddar and green olives and dill. Um, so yeah, Welsh cakes hold a, pretty, hold a pretty special place in my heart. And I've actually, my, my husband um, is a Welshman too. From from North Wales, so there's there's this kind of Welsh heritage all yeah. around me. My mother's family came from Llanelli, and my my grandmother ah. used to produce these pikelets on a bake stone. And uh, as I was reading your Welsh cakes recipe, I was thinking, oh my, I, I could feel my nana saying, no, 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 dill, <laughs> dill in a Welsh cake. <laughs> Well, you know what? We do make the very traditional version um, at home all the time, and they're a favourite. Um, but I feel like those very traditional recipes, there's other people out there who've written those recipes and done them incredibly well. So, um, so no, the, yeah, these on. are a bit of a twist. And I guess they're a bit more, they're a mix between a Welsh cake and a kind of savoury scone, yeah. I guess. So. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. The Arepas. Now, this is your third food moment. Um, tell me about these and tell me how you had these in the morning after your wedding. So tell us about the, the recipe first and then tell us about the wedding. So, yeah, arepas are absolutely delicious. They're a kind of little corn cake. They're, you know, Venezuelan initially, I, I believe. And um, they're, they're actually really, really easy to make. You know, I don't know if you've ever made um, tortillas, corn tortillas with the masa um, harina, and you have to use a press to press it out. But arepas are, are using a sort of similar cornmeal, but actually you just kind of pat them into patties and then fry them in a pan. And they sort of puff up and become these, you know, somewhere between a sort of you know, corn tortilla and a fluffy sort of um, bao bun or burger bun or something like that. And then you stuff them with, you know, really, really delicious things. I mean, all sorts of stuff at our wedding. And in the recipe in the book, we have, you know, black beans rich with chipotle and cinnamon, um, you know, pickled red onions. We have some you know, plantain, and they were the best, best, best food for kind of, um, you know... Soaking uh, up the alcohol. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> soaking up the excitement from the night before. Um, there was a, some absolutely wonderful people who came to cook at our wedding, and, um, you know, one of them was um, this lovely lady called Bee, who's Venezuelan, and, and she kind of just took over this fantastic, you know you know a rep of breakfast and I don't think you know we couldn't believe our luck really <laughs> I my son was really young so I hadn't I hadn't overindulged too much the night before but there were there are a few sorry faces <laughs> your fourth food moment is a mashup literally it's a sagalu shepherd's pie you call it the standout recipe from your book why well I think the standout recipe is never really decided by me. And that's always something I find quite exciting um, when, you know, I publish a book. Um, I always expect, I, I can never quite call which recipe is going to be made the most or people are going to get excited about. But with this book, um, it was the Sagalu shepherd's pie. It's not obviously a shepherd's pie. I use that term very loosely <laughs> because uh, obviously all my recipes are vegetarian, so there's no meat in it. So the base is a rajma masala, which is, um, you know, a, a, a kind of bean, a, a very delicious, very simple bean curry. Um, and... 
you know, that's that's the base. And then on top, I do a kind of sagalu, alu gobi kind of um, mash. So broken up potatoes, cauliflower, lots of spinach, and then lots of spice. So it's kind of got that comfort of a shepherd's pie, but with the kind of excitement and, you know, both texturally and in terms of flavour, you know, of your, you know, of, you know, crispy potatoes, crispy bits of cauliflower and all those lovely kind of Indian spices. So, um, yeah, and that seems to be the one. I mean, my book came out in March and I think it was still pretty cold here in the UK. And I think people still, you know, wanted wanted a food hug for so many different reasons. It had been a tough year. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I think we were just craving comfort food. So, um, and I always find it so interesting because I think, you know, as a, as a cook and a chef, you sometimes want, you know, the most far-fangled flavour combination, you know, or, or the most pioneering recipe or the thing that you think no one's ever thought of before to be the thing that people love to cook. But actually, m- more often than not, it's the very simple, time-saving, easy ingredient recipes. And I think that's, you know, knowing that about you know, which recipes have been popular in my books, that's definitely shaped how I write and how I cook. Um, Because I want, you know, the bottom line is I want the books to be used. I want them to be useful. I want the food to be kind and joyful and generous. But I I want them to be used. And it is incredibly useful. I mean, on so many different levels, there's that, the big introduction, there's a lot of information about it. If you really want to go deep into how to eat to save the planet, it's all there. You know, the Oxford study, uh, the the information about waste, uh, the, the connections um, about our choices. It's all there. You can really go deep um, and you write it very accessibly as well. But then there's these endless variations on a theme. So, you know, you can look up kale. You can look up cauliflower, for example. I like the cauliflower one because I'm always looking at a cauliflower and going, I'm not sure I've got to grips with the cauliflower yet. I understand, you know, that vegetarians have come to cauliflowers in a way that I just haven't and, and I need to get to grips with it. There are, God, I mean, how many ways with the cauliflower? I mean, probably about 30 or something. I think there are a lot of ways with the cauliflower. Yeah, there's lots of cauliflower recipes within the book. But as you say, I've, I've tried to take the top 10 vegetables that we buy in the UK and give everyone loads and loads of ideas for each of those vegetables. And the thinking behind that was, obviously, you know, it's great to have lots of ideas and, and, and a generosity. But also, you know, so the recipes are flexible. Um, so if you've got, you know, half a cauliflower or seven cauliflowers, you can then you know, adapt those recipes. So yeah, I think these flexible recipes really, to me, are kind of, you know, the future of cooking because I, I, you know, it's great to follow a recipe, but really, you know, my hope with anything I do, and I'm sure most food writers and chefs' hopes are that they're arming people with the tools to be able to, you know, be adaptable, be creative and, you know, cook in their own kitchen with what they have. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the key. Yeah, I absolutely. And, you know, I talk endlessly in my other work for the Food Foundation about, you know, cooking skills. How do we get the poorest people in the country to, to have access to healthy food? And it keeps coming back to cooking skills. Where do you get the cooking skills? They're not going to be in school and it's going to Mm. take a whole generation to get those into the family homes even if we did have good cooking lessons mm, in schools mm. tied up with understanding of you know the whole food system um 
I have to say, I think you've nailed it. I think that oh, by taking, you. I think that if those were accessible somehow to people, I mean, I hate to say it, but I don't know if everybody, you know, the poorest people in the land are going to buy your book. But those, those ideas, I think, are the key because you take a vegetable that's in your fridge and you say, okay, what can I do with this? And you're given 20 different ways, 20, 30 different ways. And you get it. You get it. By by trying to save on waste and save money, you're gathering up your cooking skills. How do you think you could get those out into the world? I mean, it's all very well writing for The Guardian, but, you know, how do you get those out of the middle class bubble into the world where it really needs to be absorbed? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really um a, a really big question and something I've thought a lot about actually because I'm very aware that you know the books that I write are bought by you know a, you know a certain person and you know the, definitely the you know the articles I write are also read you know by Guardian readers essentially um, and sometimes other papers but um, it no it feels very important to me to be um, making inroads into that and and you know obviously. I had a lot of exposure to that in the work I did with Jamie Oliver, both in the school dinners where I was physically in the school kitchen with Nora. I don't know if you remember that wonderful Irish dinner lady who was on that series. So I was in there cooking with her, trying to persuade her that, you know, the the, the turkey Twizzlers were not a good idea. Um, And then I did quite a lot of work going around the country in the Ministry of Food hubs that Jamie set up, which was sort of um, regional cooking schools. Um, So it's something I'm always thinking about, and especially having a kind of five-year-old son now who's, you know, at our local school. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how how I can help with that. And I've been speaking to um, the brilliant B. Wilson from Taste Ed about how I can perhaps work with her on, you know, just just helping um, use the skills that I have um, to kind of, you know, help educate the, the younger generation on how, you know, we look at food. I think that the stuff that chefs in schools are doing is amazing. They're, they're, they're I'm sure you know them, Julie, but the... Um, they're a brilliant organisation where they yeah. get, sh- you know, professional chefs who perhaps don't want to work in restaurants anymore yeah. to come and cook in schools. And they've got a lovely thing called the Hackney School of Food, which is two minutes from where I live, um, where they're going to be cooking, you know, teaching kids um, about food and how to cook. So I'm hoping through those organisations um, I can um, help have some impact. You know, I think my, you know, and and. and I'm, I'm constantly in touch with Jamie Oliver and his team about the, you know, the, the campaigns that they do and how I can support those as well, especially all the stuff around, you know, the, 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 the recent food bill, which, you know, the agriculture bill, which unfortunately we did not get the result that we wanted. But, um, you know, I think there are some brilliant organisations um, around and I feel like it's more powerful for me to lend my support to those than perhaps start something of my own. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at juliesmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news about the retreats. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when I'm talking to Kim Duke, co-founder of Life Kitchen, the cookery classes for people living with cancer, about her debut super flavour cookbook, Weekly Provisions. Weekly Provisions.